0: We're in Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 there, and then Genesis chapter 3, 17 through 24. So we'll just turn a page and finish out. I'll give you a second. Verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Verse 17. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins, and clothed them. Then the Lord God said,
1: My favorite videos um, that we have. I mean, Bob Dylan, I know some of you guys are like, I wanted the Guns and Roses, but we tried our best. So, hey, if it's your first time here, listen, uh, you're probably caught a little bit off guard. But last week, we began a new series entitled Memento Moré. And really the gist of this, um, you can catch that sermon on our website. It's really important. It really introduces this theme and this concept of why we are taking so much time in this series to do that and really just to recap quickly the phrase memento more comes from the latin translation of some of the scripture that you just read um, which basically means remember your death that's where that comes from and you might say goodness gracious why in the world would we take all of this time to remember death And to talk about death, and we had a number of factors and reasons. We said that the Bible talks a lot about death. We said that we as a people through the past couple of years have gone through a lot collectively. And then each of us individually has our own personal story as to how death has affected our lives. But we said and learned in Psalm 90 last week that Moses has in Psalm 90 verse 12 this little verse that says, teach us to number our days so we might gain a heart of wisdom. And so we said the goal of the series is very simply this, is that by remembering our death that we would renew our lives That when we pause and reflect during this Lenten season leading up to Easter, and quite honestly, we said this, that Easter doesn't really hit us like it should because we don't really understand the gravity of death. And we said this, that if death is not a problem, then Jesus is not a solution. And so what we're doing is we're pausing and we're looking at that and we're asking a number of questions each week and maybe to set us up where we're going, this will be a little bit helpful. Um, A few weeks ago, my wife was with the kids and it was a beautiful weather over the past couple of weeks. And they spent some time and went to the local city cemetery so the kids could walk around and ride their bikes. Now, that's not just to be morbid. Um, If you're a parent, it's actually a really great place to do that because you don't have to worry about cars and this, that, and the other. And the kids get to kind of run around. And there's always good conversation. And we find the really old headstones that have really old dates on it and stuff. And if you remember, we talked about that one of the reasons why God started stirring this series in my heart was the passing of Courtney's grandmother, Donna, our Gaga. And she passed away from a brain aneurysm, and it just affected our lives like death does. And it really affected our kids because now somebody was gone. They weren't there anymore. And so it began um, a conversation of this death conversation that now is this series. But as they were walking through the cemetery, Piper, our youngest, noticed a particular headstone. And she noticed it because it had Mickey Mouse on it. And Piper said, why is Mickey on, on that grave? And so my wife said, well, baby, um, that, that's a kid's grave. And Piper's eyes got really big. And then they filled with tears. And she said, kids die too? Kids can die too? And her whole world was just rocked at that moment. And I would say this, that all of us have had the same moment that Piper has had. When you first encountered it. It wasn't just a concept and it wasn't just an idea anymore. It interrupted your life and it probably changed everything. And in that moment, Piper came to realize something that, that we all know and realize. And, and can I just say that today is actually the two year anniversary of when collectively um, our church and a number of churches shut down because of the COVID-19 pandemic. And just to think, that was too, I mean, it feels like it was a long, maybe six months ago or something like that. But think about it. Two years ago, we were all watching the news. The death ticker was there on the news. Everybody was panicked. Um, myself, Pastor Tyler, and Matt, um, who's the chairman of our board, we were actually in an airport when the president of the United States declared it a pandemic. And my wife knew that we were going on the trip. And if you know anything about my wife, she sent me with like Clorox wipes, gloves. As she, I mean, I looked like I, I had everything but a hazmat suit, like walking through the airport. We were wiping our seat down on the plane, all of that because none of us knew. But all of us were now confronted with mortality and death. And in that moment, Piper realized something. Just like two years ago, we realized something. And, and it's what death is, and, and it's a number of things, but, but the first thing that it is is this, is that death is real. In that moment, something shifted and changed. It wasn't a concept, and it wasn't an idea anymore. It interrupted her little world, and it changed everything. You've had the same moment. And you've either stood there at the graveside or you got the phone call. It was real now. And the second thing is this, is that death isn't just real, but death is universal. Um, I did a little bit of studying this week. And did you know that every people group and every ethnicity have some sort of story about the origins of death? Now, think about this. Every people group, whether that's an unreached people group who live in the tribes and the jungle of the Amazon, all the way to high tech, you know, Elon Musk, we're going to the moon, all of that stuff. Because death is universal. And I looked up the stats and here it is. 65 million people die every year. That is 178,000 people each day, 7,425 people each hour, and 120 people every single minute. It's universal. That's another reason why we're taking time to study and see what the scriptures say about this. To think that when you go to bed at night, that literally 178,000 people have now left this earth. If you think about that, and you think about how everything shut down for COVID 19, and you think about how many people will die today, that should gain our attention. It's not just real, and it's not just universal, but the last thing is this it's inevitable. Death is inevitable, that it will happen. It's not a matter of if, it is a matter of when that will happen. And do you know what's interesting? I had a conversation this week with somebody who was not a believer and they're sort of just peeking over the fence at Christianity. And I love having those conversations because as a pastor, sometimes I feel like a fish in a fishbowl. I'm just like all around Christians all the time and stuff like that. And so I love being around people who aren't a believer because I love the questions that they have. And so as we were talking about the series, they were very intrigued. Why are you doing that? This, that and the other. Um, It's funny. Christians sometimes feel like that we have to be the ones to have all the answers and to defend our position. But the reality is this, the opposite is true. It's pretty known and familiar that we know and believe this book. But when I flipped the phrase onto him and said, hey man, you know kind of primarily what I believe. If death is real and it's universal... And it's inevitable, and it will happen to you. What's your answer? What's your answer? Because listen, if if you're a non-believer or somebody with questions in here today, please listen, we love those questions, and we take those seriously. And we will walk a journey with you. But one thing that you cannot do is you cannot just critique Christianity and its answers and not provide an answer yourself. You too have to have an answer in this. And so what we're doing each week is we are looking and asking a fundamental question about death. So last week was just sort of like an introduction as to here's where we're going. And this week is the first question. And I think it's the question that we have to start with. And it's this. Where did death come from? Where did death come from? Um, I said that all people groups have stories. I was reading about um, an Indian tribe that said that death... Came from the fox because the fox always eats the chicken and the eggs and everything like that and then I was looking at Greek mythology and Thanos actually is not Marvel that's actually Greek mythology Thanos in Greek means death and so just by a snap of the fingers and so they wrestled with Zeus and then death was released or Pandora's box there's all of these stories because it's real it's universal and it's inevitable but the reason why I think we ask where did death come from is deeper than that it's not just um, an origin story but the reality I think is this death seems wrong that's why we ask the question Death seems wrong. No Matt, Listen, I worked um, at a funeral home part-time for about five or six years. I was an in-house chaplain. I was around death. Being a pastor, nobody's probably attended more funerals than me. I'm around it a lot, and I'll tell you this. No matter how old the person is, when we are at that graveside, and everybody's left, and they lower that casket into the ground, there is something that seems wrong. There is something that seems wrong about that. Why did the life have to end? Why did they leave? Why am I left with this grief and this heartache? Will this ever go away? Will I, I mean, it literally opens up all of these major questions in life. And what if I told you this? What if I told you that Jesus agrees with that statement, that death seems wrong? You see, maybe you're not a Christian in here, and and, and maybe you've gotten some sort of picture of Jesus That is this angry guy who's out to get you when you break the rules. And so he's like this God with a mag. He's kind of like Sid from Toy Story. Remember that? Like breaking the toy, like doing. That's your image of God. And and can I just tell you, nothing could be further from the truth. But we know um, that Jesus had friends. And one of Jesus's best friends was a guy named Lazarus. And in the Gospel of John, we have this scene when, when Lazarus dies and Jesus goes to the grave. And when Jesus saw her, which is one of Lazarus' sisters, weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Listen, anytime in the original language, that's a massive sentence. But anytime it refers to Jesus being deeply moved and greatly troubled, our ears should sort of perk up. And then there's this. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And here it is the two words that we all memorized in Sunday school so we could get the sticker, right? Jesus wept. Do you know the massive theological implications that come from just those two words? That Jesus Christ, literally God in the flesh, is at his best friend's grave... He is there. He is seeing everyone cry and weep. And when he sees Lazarus's tomb, he cries. And listen, don't try to just like make this all, well, the reason why, Jason, Jesus wept is because of the incarnation and the hypostatic union. And the, pfft, okay, I don't want to hear any of that. I don't want to hear that. Jesus had a friend and his friend died and Jesus was sad. Jesus was sad. But do you know actually what the phrase means, greatly troubled? Oh, this is good. This is like we're, like, we're at the beginning and I'm ready, okay? I don't know if you're ready, but I'm ready. The phrase greatly troubled actually literally translates very angry. Very angry. That changes things. That changes this whole story. Why is Jesus at the grave of his best friend and he's crying and he's heartbroken, but deep down inside he is angry? Now I see Jesus' tears, not like, oh, Lazarus, why did you have to go like this, that, or the other? I almost see Jesus maybe clenching his fists and the tears rolling down his eyes maybe his eyes getting a little bit red and bloodshot, and he is angry. Why is Jesus angry? Well, as we ask the question today, where did death come from, and we have now set it up, the first point is the answer as to why Jesus was angry. Because death was never the original design. That's worth repeating. Death was never the original design if you have no knowledge of the bible if you don't know anything that's going on today and you think we're a bunch of weirdos it's all right we're weird you're weird too okay all right but you need to know something that the way the world is now was never the way that it was intended to be That's why when we stand at the graveside or when a life comes to an end, we ask, why? Why does it have to be this way? And the scripture that was read to you is what we're going to walk through. Genesis chapter one starts with the beautiful phrase, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And and we're introduced to this God that creates the cosmos. And he's a creative God. And he's speaking things and it's happening. But the constant refrain, it's almost like a cadence. If you were to read Genesis 1 and 2 like an orchestra or like a symphony, everyone's in tune. Everything is beautiful. And there's this pace. There's a cadence. And it all rests and comes down to, and it was good and it was good, and it was good. That might be a hit. That might be a radio hit, and it was good. And then we see this. Genesis 2 talks about God creating the first man in his image and likeness. And then it says this, and the Lord God commanded the man. If you have a pen, you need to underline the Lord God commanded. It's a big deal. This is the first time, Everything's getting created. Everything is happening. This is, this is for you Bible nerds, the very first command in all of the Bible. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. Here it is. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, there is a ton in that one verse. And and all great students of the Bible need to ask questions. Okay? So number one, when God says in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. How would Adam know what God is talking about? Because death hasn't happened. Adam has no reference point of what this word or die or death means. But God says, don't eat of this tree. The second question, right? And this is what Dan Brown and the Da Vinci Code and all that. What is this tree, right? What is this tree? We see in the garden, there's a number of trees, but there's two particular ones. There's the tree of life, and then there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, God said that you can have every tree but one, and and we always point this out, okay? For those of you who think that God is just about rules and keeping you from having fun and my dating life and wah, 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 all of this stuff, how many trees were in the garden? We don't know, okay? It was a lot. It was a lot. How many trees did God say to not eat of? One One tree, right? So this is how you study the Bible. You step back and you go, huh. It appears that God's permission far outweighs God's restriction. That is a massive point for us to understand. And why did God give Adam a choice? Why even put the tree in the garden, right? Ah, this is the question that many theologians ask. And there's a number of answers, and most of them are bad, okay? Because ready? I'm gonna give you the answer that probably no pastor's ever told you before. You ready for this? Ready? I don't know. You good with that? Alright. I have some thoughts. Um you see, at some point, Adam needed to have a choice as to why to follow the commands of God. So Adam's not a robot. Adam's not, yes, God, I will obey you, and then everything's working perfectly. There's a choice there. Why? Because true love requires that. For Adam to really love this God and to really see that this God's ways are good, Adam has to choose I will not do this, and I will do this, not so God will love me, but because he already does. Because everything in this creation is good and perfect and right. And so we see that there is a choice now for Adam. But the third question I think is this. What kind of death is God talking about? So when God says, don't eat of the tree, you will surely die. Well, is it, a, is it like what kind of death is it? Because we know that they touch it and they eat of it, but they don't like immediately turn to ashes like Thanos' snap or anything like that. So what kind of death is it? Well, in the Bible, when the Bible speaks of death, it speaks of it in three ways. Okay, this is the bulk of the message. And this is really, really important for us to understand. So here's the deal. We're going to go through a lot of Bible. God forbid you come to church and learn something, okay? And then we're going to apply this to our life. But there's three primary ways that the Bible talks of death. The first one is this, physical, okay? It's physical death. And you can write that reference down, but I'm going to read these to you. In Genesis 3, 19, it was read, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken.'" "...for you are dust," and here it is, "...and to dust you shall return." So there is a physical aspect to death that our heart stops beating blood to vital organs, our lungs no longer breathe air, our brain stops firing neurons, and our body physically stops, okay?" And some of us who are getting older in years feel those creeks every day whenever we wake up, right? There's a lot of miles on the vehicle, right? So there's a physical aspect of death. But the second way is this. It's spiritual death. Now, follow me here. Ephesians 2 says this. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the Spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and here it is, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So we understand this that there is a spiritual death. In Psalm 51, five, David says, I was born into iniquity and sin, that because of the fall, that our spirit, when it is born, is born dead to the things of God. Listen, mama, I'm gonna offend you like crazy. I know you love that baby, and there ain't nobody like that baby. And when that baby was born, it was the most beautiful baby in the world. Can of be honest? All newborn babies are kind of ugly, but that's for free. Okay, <laughs> keep on going. But, and you think, but listen, you need to understand something that we are not born naturally loving God. Case in point, you ever seen that baby freak out when somebody touches his toys? Where did he or she learn that? Don't answer that. You're like, his father. Okay, no, no right? <laughs> that level of selfishness, that all of that, that doesn't have to be taught because that's literally in our DNA, but that brings up a very interesting point. See, questions lead to questions, lead to questions. What is this spirit? What, what are we talking about here? And listen, this is a primary way why we're doing this series because sometimes things have just been said in church and, and then we've taken them as gospel truth. But you've got to understand what you are made of and who you are, okay? So theologians would call that you are a trichotomy. It's a big word, $2 word. You get what you pay for. So's mayonnaise. That's a big word, too, all right? The Bible would speak of three primary things that you are, okay? You're created in the image and likeness of God. You first and foremost have a body. You have a body, and your body is what reacts to the environment around you, okay? You have a body. We see that Adam was created from the dust of the ground. But you also have a soul, okay? And and actually, did you know psychology, psyche is the word soul? So some people would put mind here. I'm fine with that. The soul is uh, your personality. It is your self-consciousness. It is you talking to you. It is you asking these deep questions. What's the point of my life? When am I going to die? All of those types of things. Okay, your cat doesn't have that. Your cat for sure doesn't have a soul, okay, right? All right? It, it's what makes you, you. It's your personality, all of those things. But there is also an immortal part of you. You see, the, the body dies and gets buried in the ground. And then we're going to learn later what happens with that body. But then there is your spirit. Spirit. You see, in Genesis, in Genesis, it says that God created Adam and blew into his nostrils the breath of life and Adam became a living being. It is your soul. That's the immaterial part of you that groans and longs for eternity. In Ecclesiastes, it says God has placed eternity in the heart of every man. That's why, as Billy Graham would say, some of you, you have a God-shaped hole in your heart. It's that thing that desires something more than what is around us. And when the Bible talks of spiritual death, It's talking about that immaterial part of you that is dead to the things of God. So it is physical, it is spiritual, but the third thing is this. There is also an eternal death, or as what the Bible calls, the second death. And listen to these verses in Revelation. But... As for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion, by the way, that's everybody in this room, okay? Apart from the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, that's everybody in this room. All, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is, underlying, quote, The second death. Now, we're going to get into heaven and hell and stuff later on in the series. But what I want you to understand is when the Bible speaks of death, this is so important for you to understand. It speaks of it in these three categories. That's massively important for us to understand. And now that we see that, I think that we can draw a definition of what death really is. Because when the Bible speaks of death, there is a core principle, an element at the center that means everything else. And it's this, death is separation. Now follow me. Death is separation. That when your body dies and your heart stops beating, the Apostle Paul would say, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When the spirit separates from the body, when the heart stops beating and working, and when that person leaves us or when we leave our loved ones, or, or, when we get separated from God. You see, that's actually the second part that it leads us to, is that disobedience, disobedience is the doorway to death. Now, follow me, because look in verse 6, in Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 6. Actually, let's just do Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say that you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, Oh, we may eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. We've been through this. God didn't say anything about touching it. It was probably a good idea not to. But here's the point. She was adding to God's word. I love what Spurgeon said, that one of the great sins and one of the oldest sins in the Bible is being more strict than God is. And we do that. We add to God's word that you can't listen to this or you can't do this or you can't be this because you got to do this. God didn't say anything about that and then look at what happens. But the serpent said to the woman, you will Not surely die. You gotta underline it in your Bible. We're gonna talk more about that in the weeks to come. That's it. That's the original lie. You're not gonna die. And then he says this because God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Verse six. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and also gave some to her passive husband who was with her and he ate. It's in a different translation of the Bible. Verse seven. Here it is. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Now, here it is, verse 8. I want you to see this. Remember, what is our definition of death? Death is separation. Separation. So now they have disobeyed God. They believed the original lie that God is not good and you have to do your own stuff in life in order to get what you need. And here's the lie. Instead of worshiping God, be your own God. And friends and family in this room, that is the lie that you and I battle every day of our life. Every day. And then here it is. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. Do you see it? They had the perfect relationship. Everything was perfect. Everything was harmony. Everything was unified. Sin enters into the picture and then Adam and Eve run away from the God that they used to run to. And so now, to answer the very important theological question, where did death come from? This is our big idea in the thesis today and we'll connect the dots. Death is the result of disobedience To God's good word. That's it. We see that the curse gets announced to Adam and Eve. And that now childbearing and pain from the ground and all of these things. But ultimately now, here's why. If God is the source of life... And all things good, as James says, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If we choose sin, if we choose that over God's good word, we are separating ourselves from life. Um, This is so theologically important that the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans chapter 5 puts it this way. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. Here, let me put the cookies on the bottom shelf. We all die because we are all sinners. Welcome to Westside. i glad you're here today, right? What are the implications of this? Why is this so important? Listen, we could go a number of ways, but I really felt like the Lord led me to this. For just a moment, I want you to think about your moment like Piper had there at the cemetery when death devastated everything in your life, and you, you realize this can be taken from me, with I can't control this, the devastation that that brings, the pain, all of that. And now we understand that the source of that comes from disobeying and rejecting God's good word. Here's the question. When we think of the devastation that death brings into our lives, do we think of our disobedience the same way? Now please listen to me. That pain that you feel and that grief and that heartache when you understand the separation from your loved one. Do we have that same gravitas? And do we view God's good word as life and life in its fullest? And do we have the same feeling and perception of our disobedience as the devastation that death has? There's a scene in the Gospels when Jesus is teaching, and everybody gets mad at him. Um, if, if preachers actually preached like Jesus, then everybody would leave kind of mad sometimes, okay? And in John 6, he's teaching, and everybody starts to leave and turn away. And Jesus turns to his disciples and says this, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, Do you want to go away as well? And then Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Now, here it is, guys, this is it. This is my whole sermon. You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Let's tie all of this together. We understand that death was never a part of the original design, that our God is good, and everything that He makes is good. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, disobeyed God, and they wanted to be God rather than worship God. And through that act of disobedience, death enters in and touches everything now in creation. But... Our God is still there. Our God has not left us in the story. And we understand this, that Jesus and his words are very life itself. Listen, I think I can summarize it this way. What if you go to the doctor tomorrow and you are diagnosed with a critical illness, but there is good news. The bad news is is that this illness will lead to your death. There is no getting out of that. But the good news is, is that there is a medication. And if you take one pill every day, you can subside that chronic illness, and that illness will not take your life. But you have to take it at the same time every day for the rest of your life. Here's my question to you. Would you forget to take it? Would you ever forget to take it? Because you understood the importance of it and the gravity of it and what that is. Listen West side, I'm here to tell you this today. That is what God is saying how important His Word is to us. That every act of diso- Listen, it's not just a lie. It's not just looking up the old friend from high school to see where they are now. It's not just pornography. What it is, is it's inviting death into your life. And what God is saying is that through His Word and through His grace that God has provided a way. Yes, there is a problem, but God has given us the solution. So, dear friends, do we view the importance of God's Word that way? Do we understand now the gravity and the implications of when we distort and disobey God's good Word? In closing, I want us to understand something. That as we talk about the weight and the gravity of sin, every week we're going to look at what theologians call the scarlet thread all through Scripture. The bad news is this is that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Hebrews 9, and is appointed for man to die once, and after that he is to face judgment. Everybody in here dies. Everybody in here gives an account for their life. But there's good news in the story. Did you notice what happened at the end of Genesis 3 that was read to you? So now disobedience has taken place. Death has entered in. And this is what Genesis 3 goes on to say and what happened. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Have you ever wondered what that meant? Like, what does that mean? Well, if man ate from the tree and was now cursed... And death was going to come. If he also ate of the tree of eternal life, then man would live in an eternal state of cursedness and brokenness. And God says, we can't let him eat of that because he will be cursed for all eternity. So, the Lord God drove him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. Now here it is. Don't miss this. The second part of the verse says this that he goes on and he drove out the man and the east of the garden of eden he placed the cherubim and the flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life what in the world is happening remember separation separation man has now disobeyed So now he cannot come into the presence of God because God is holy, God is perfect, God is just. So now east of Eden. And he puts an angel. Cherubim are a big deal in the Bible. They're the warrior angels. And he has a flaming sword that goes back and forth every way, symbolizing this, nobody can enter into life now. Death now reigns because through one man and it reigns for all. Did you know that this cherubim in this scene was such a big deal that when God had Israel and they were in the desert and he created the temple... And then, then finally, the main temple where the presence of God was. It was supposed to represent Eden. Only the high priest could go into the temple one time a year. And he would go into the temple and have a rope tied to his foot. Because if they heard him die, they would drag his body out because God's presence is holy and it's perfect. And on the curtain of that temple where the Ark of the Covenant was, the very presence of God, God told Moses to design the curtain like this. Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twined linen and blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and you shall make them with cherubim skillfully worked into them. It was a symbol for God's people, for all of history, that that cherubim with that sword represents we cannot gain eternal life. We are separated. Sin separates. Death is separation. Oh, but praise be to God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And behold, the Word became flesh, and it dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, the only glory as from the Son of the Father, full of grace and truth, and Jesus lives the life that we could never live. And then on that Friday, He is illegally tried. He has a crown of thorns put on His head, the same thorns that God said would fight back to Adam. And He's beaten, and He's whipped, and He's mocked, and He's hung naked on the tree just like Adam and Eve were naked there. And He is crucified, and He dies and gives up His spirit. But oh, praise be to God, that when Jesus dies and behold the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks split why is that significant because the only way to get back into the presence of God was to absorb the sword and we know that Jesus had a sword pierced his side and his heart and the water sack bled out, and the temple curtain tore, symbolizing this, that now life is available through Jesus Christ. That death does not have the final word. That the court, that the curtain was torn from top to bottom, not bottom to top, symbolizing not that we made our way to God through our good behavior and everything good that we do, but from top to bottom, symbolizing that God made His way to us all this is the good news and the good news is this that Jesus Christ took on death by living a perfect life of obedience dying on the cross and being raised from the dead on the third day disobedience brought death but obedience brought life and that's good news for us today but do we understand now why would we reject this Why do I sometimes value your opinion over God's? Why sometimes do we reject God's goodness and pursue our own glory? Do you see now the gravity of sin and the separation that it causes? For a reflection, this is the application that we have today. I have a number of questions. The first one is this. How does this biblical view of death change your view of death? It's different now. The physical, the spiritual, the eternal. This is real. This is inevitable. It's universal. The second question is this. Where am I inviting death into my life through disobedience to God's word? Do you know what I thought about? with it being two years from the anniversary of COVID and everything, all of the precautions that we went through in the very beginning, there were so many questions. There was fear everywhere. There were masks. There was hand sanitizer. There was gloves. There was, I mean, there was everything like that because death, death was on the loose. I might carry it. You might carry it. Oh no. What if we viewed our life that way? What if it was God? I know that I need to live in community. And God, I do not feel like going to group, or I don't feel like reading, or I don't feel like doing, I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like doing these things like that. But what we understand is that through those simple acts, it leads us to life. To life. The third question is this What is the Spirit saying to you today as an individual where you're at? And the last question is this What are you going to do about it? What are you gonna do about it? Heavenly Father, God, we come before you grateful for your word. God, I pray today that our perspective changes, that we would see that death is a problem. As the apostle Paul said, death is the last great enemy. And oh God, there's times where it seems like death is winning, the physical death, the loss of our loved ones. The grief that we carry, it is a pain and a weight that is indescribable. But God, I pray today that we would understand that pain and cross that over into our spiritual lives as well. That we would understand that when we reject your word, that we are literally inviting death into our life. God, death is a problem. But we are so thankful that Jesus Christ is the solution. And when we see Jesus, you absorb the cross. You went through the flaming sword on our behalf. And you absorbed death so we could have life. God, may that change us. May that compel us. May we never be the same again. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. We pray this all in the holy and in the mighty and in the precious name of Jesus Christ, amen.